question. You guys are so – look at you. You need to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, because I've been away for a week and I haven't had my weekly catch-up with Jai. And I'm I like, rang up Alex and said, I'm like, are you home? Yeah. Oh. What are you doing? I miss you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> She's like, I'm, so I'm in a boat. <laughs> yeah. She's so much like that. I'm in a boat. <laughs> I don't speak like that. <laughs> <laughs> Jai and I get Two really yeah. close friends telling me how it is. Okay. <laughs> this do, is an intervention. Do your intro, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Maker and Creator, the podcast about creativity and inspiration. My name is Jai Smith and I'm joined in a hotel room, <laughs> sounds very saucy, sounds like the other podcast I do, by Alex Adams. Is this better in bed? I could be. Oh. This, this, this is how we recorded better in bed, in, next to a bed. In a hotel room? Uh, no. Well, yeah, it was, my, it was my room, but it was a studio. So when we used to bring guests in, people were like, so we're just recording audio, right? Because there's like a big bed next to them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Well, just to clarify to all the listeners out there, um, no, we didn't wake up here. <laughs> in this bed <laughs> um i am uh yeah reviewing the hyatt regency in reviewing the beds yeah reviewing beds for my day job eat drink play <laughs> and we decided to record here this morning good um and you've been away and i haven't seen you you've been in the yeah wet sundays wet sundays living it up around i didn't wash my hair for seven days <laughs> it felt so good to have a shower <laughs> Sounds dirty. Yeah, it does. Okay, so let's anyway. move right along because... Uh, it's t- 9.30 in the morning as well. It would <laughs> sound different. Like, things are different. You have a croakier voice. I do. I like it. It's my better in bed voice. And we've got you drinking coffee as opposed to cracking tinnies. Yeah. <laughs> God. Okay, well, moving right along. <laughs> um, I'm really excited about our guest. So, Tamazon Holloman is the founder and director of Secret Squirrel Productions, a creative experience agency, which, amongst other wonderful things, produces underground cinema which is a live immersive cinema experience held in undisclosed locations in Sydney and Melbourne. Welcome, Tam. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> wow, very fancy. It is fancy. Yeah, this is the most exciting, other than my um, my living room. Yeah, I don't know, it's pretty good. I think this is up there. You know, we could do them all in here, but it'd be expensive. Yeah, we could. <laughs> Does anyone, any hotels out there listening yeah. to the pod want to just <laughs> we'll do uh, host us every, <laughs> every week? I like this idea. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's good. Um, so, Tam, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Jai, I don't know if I've even told you this. How I met Tam was oh, we – so, obviously, I run Secret Foodies. Tam runs Underground Cinema, which is kind of the same, but on a bigger scale. And for movies, you don't know where you're going. You find yeah. out. You, there's a theme. Tam will tell us a little bit about that in a, in a little while. Uh, but someone approached us – this is probably like – six years ago, more maybe, and said, oh, we want you to both work with us on a project. And we met each (laughs) other. Secret secrets. Yeah, it was like a secret film meets a secret food experience, which was a brilliant idea. And then, But then we both decided we didn't want to work with that third party, but we (laughs) just wanted to work with each other. We dumped the third party. We ditched them. Really? And we were like, we don't need them. We're going to go do our own thing. (laughs) And then that's how Secret Foodies launched in Melbourne was – Tam and I did an amazing experience called Decadence where we brought the film Chocolat to life and we did an immersive film and food experience and from there we just became Soul Sisters. That's cool. It's really cool. Well, welcome, Tam. Thanks. It's good to have you here. Thanks. It's nice to be here. Wow. We were terrible, weren't we? Six years ago, that poor third person. 
Yeah, uh, I know. And I think she even sent us a message when she saw we were you releasing had to break, No, I made you break up with her. Yeah. Look, it was all, you know, it was all fine. It was yeah. very amicable and it was only in oh, concert stage. <laughs> we just like to make, I like to make it more dramatic. Yeah, it sounds dramatic. It's I like to make it relationship dramatic. Some really doors slamming, yeah. you know, some yeah. coffee well, thrown. That's what you yeah. do, you know, yeah. you create uh, worlds and drama and I suspense know. and mystery. and Yeah, like a whole hero's journey, you know. Mm. We had to, we had to, we had to achieve the unachievable together and go through the fire and brimstone and you know odds all against us and then you know the light comes through and we've achieved amazingness <laughs> that's what we do yes where did you come up with the idea for underground cinema oh um okay that's a good one so uh underground uh started nine nearly ten years ago um i had a background in uh theater performing arts um i'd worked lived overseas for 10 years and i'd worked in events yeah a lot and uh, and um, so that kind of amalgamation of that and, and my minor was film, like mm-hmm. I loved film. So I was actually, um, it's a combination of all those things. And whilst I was overseas, I did see this whole beginning of the immersive movement, really actually in more conversation than actually seeing it. Yep. And that really... I remember it triggering buttons for me. I was in New York at the time working events and I was finding it very stale, very cookie cutter, very, you know, putting the same pieces together just in different orders. Pretty and I, flower budgets. Yeah, pretty flower budgets is what <laughs> I talk about. That's what we call it. Yeah. That's what we call yep. boring events, pretty yep, flower pretty budgets. Pretty flower budgets. <laughs> is that because I've told you that? Yeah, really pretty flower budgets. And um, and I would see guests just wanting more and that. And then I realised theatre was also that attempt to do that, but theatre wasn't reaching people either and yeah. I was sort of frustrated with that medium. So um, it was something about the amalgamation of doing, um, having a, the immersion of a theatre, taking it off the stage, but yet also running it with the business of an event, you know, that was interesting. Underground in its particular format is quite brilliant and it was definitely inspired by a company uh, in London called Secret Cinema which I'd never seen. I hadn't seen until three years of doing Underground. But I understood the concept immediately and that was they did everything I'd sort of thought of and I'd kind of designed this insane immersive experience. Um, But they used the film as the sort of rounding point. So effectively... um, what we do is we we go to you don't know where we're going to the last minute and you find out where it is you know what the the theme is you know the genre um you kind of know sort of what your you know kind of world you're walking into um but you don't know the film title and you have to get dressed up and you get dressed up and you get engaged so when you arrive you walk onto what is like a living and breathing film set right so we we recreate the world of the film you're about to see uh with actors sets costumes and locations so this whole 360-degree world that is um, completely absorbing and you can't see behind the matrix, so to speak. So anyhow, guests come to that, walk into that world and they play in that world for about two and a half hours and then they sit down and watch the movie reveal. You would love it. You have to go. And you don't know who is an actor and who is a guest sometimes. Oh, really? Because everyone gets all dressed up like they go all out with their costumes and people also you know you get kind of the drama types who just love getting their acting on okay maybe me yeah and then <laughs> I was like oh, don't say it don't say it don't say it and say then it. you're like are you an actor or are you part of the mission that I need to do and so everyone gets really into it yeah if you don't get in costume you're a loser right yeah. and I try to be nice about it Officially, but now I notice <laughs> the other guests are other guests just you know now people do like I reckon it's like 90% 
dressed up. People yeah. get dressed up. They do incredibly. And do you think like people want these experiences kind of be, you know, into lack of a better word, kind of in real life because we are going so digital and because things are becoming so... You know, we are going 2D as we kind of yeah. go back through a screen. So then what we're looking for is kind of this idea of, well, what will make me feel something in the moment, make it something yeah. spontaneous, etc. And then from a film point of view, I guess, delivery kind of through home screens rather than, you know, the, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, you know, families would go to the theatre like yeah. two to three times a week. And now it's, you know, it's a rarity and you've got to spend, you know, 50 bucks a greater union to get a, you know, a $30 popcorn and a $20 yeah. Coke. And sensification, right? Yeah. So I think that's actually three things. Absolutely. So exactly what you said at the beginning, the journey I've seen. And definitely a few years ago, I would said without doubt, you know, my midway point was really was the escape from the digital, the the need to connect, you know, the the desire to connect and and to feel something. You know, in a, in an age where you've just been sold to everything, everything just feels um, done. You feel like you know, you feel um, you feel oversaturated with information. I think it's really interesting to play with the idea of not telling someone something. Yeah. And and I talk about this. I talk about the idea, the secret element. Um, it is actually, and when I we I actually did auditions on the weekend here in Sydney, and we bring in people to audition, and we talk about. The secrecy. And I say, yes, it, it's one thing, you know, it, it's great, it's exciting for the guests. But one, it's very powerful mm. because what it does is if guests don't know what movie they're going to see, if they don't know what necessarily to expect, then they're in the now. And they're sort of discovering every minute as it goes along because there's, mm. they haven't been able to read about it. on the, they have, when We haven't told them what's going to happen next. Yeah. So for the first time they need to be present. And because they don't know the movie and humans love discovering, right? We love, you know, that's just innate, right? So we want to figure it out, right? There's that excitement. And being told no is even more exciting. Not in this age you know everything. So you're, you're engaging in this world for about two and a half hours and you're meeting characters and you're being sent on missions and you're discovering what's behind closed doors and, you know, solving things and seeing things and experiencing things. But you're porous and you're paying attention and you're kind of raw as an audience. Yeah. I mean, you're not coming from a pedestal, judgy position because you're too busy being in it. And so the secrecy is an incredibly powerful performance tool that makes our guests engage on a whole different level to anything I've ever seen. And we warn our actors, like we train our actors up about that. We're like, you know, they've done stage work, they've done film work, they've done all this stuff, and that there's nothing like an underground audience. Mm. And I, I come down to the fact that I sort of believe it's because they're in this not knowing state yeah. that they are listening and partaking um, in a such more intense way really whereas if you go to something like if you're going to see I don't know like a stage show of whatever um, and you kind of know what you're in for you're literally going to spend most of your time in your seat judging the performances judging right. the lights the thing well yeah you know I've seen Phantom of the Opera a few times and it was okay I like this one but I preferred the other one whatever yeah. so you know um, but the point being is that you you come from a place of judgment because you know what you were expecting before you went there so it's always based on comparison rather than discovery exactly and now that's interesting because when you're on the internet and on your phone and your digital and this digital life that we've seen this saturation for 10 years, we, we feel um, like a place of judgment at all times. Yeah. Because we can cross-reference anything we're reading or learning mm. about at all times. And it's very rarely that we're just in a childlike state of discovery. 
without being talked down to yeah. as well. That's yeah. the other thing. Because the only other time you learn is when a teacher is telling you what to believe and what to feel. Yeah, exactly. And that's being told what to feel yeah. and think. And I think that's an, that's the second phase. So the other thing about uh, the creative process that I try to design or when I try to design is it's very important to be aware of the audience. And I'm not, you know... I'm not designing experiences for kids. I'm designing experiences for in- incredibly intelligent, functioning, highly successful adults who are taking this leap of faith in a world where they know everything to know nothing for a bit and to discover with you. So you can't talk down to them through narrative or experience. You can't be like, okay, kids, we're moving over here now. Mm-hmm. Like all this, you know, you're not herding cattle. It's about designing intelligently for the intelligent audience because I think in that sort of, you know, space that you create of discovery of not knowing, it's about building trust with your audience and one of the things you do is create space for them to discover. So you open doors, you make offers and if they choose to follow them, then their ownership of that journey is so much more powerful than if I'm like, come on, everyone, come to this room, we're going Mm. to do a scene and we're going to talk at you. Yeah. But what happens if you walk into a space and you're just given one piece of paper to find one character out of 500 people and you spend that time finding that one character and when you find them, they're like, thank God you're here. I've got this thing and I really need your help. And they give you a narrative and then they give you an offer and you take the offer and you go find someone else and suddenly you're exploring this world but on your own validation, on your own terms and your experiences are yours. Yeah. So there are so many questions that came up in my mind. I've got got to really care. No, it was a good riff (laughs) because every time you went, I'm like, oh, yeah, but oh, oh, yeah, but then this. So much to – See, I don't know if I'd be like I'm nervous about thinking about this already. So oh I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking at Alex as I say this. I'm like that doesn't work for a podcast. Is because I get is it sorry? The first question is: Is this actually for everyone, or is there is there a group that you cater more towards? Because my first thought was: What if you're real shy? You know, how would this translate even you know to Hong Kong, where I spend a lot mm. of time? And then even thinking about you know. Um, how or would it become a mask for people where it's like, oh, this is who I am in real life, so this allows me to be this different part of me that I wouldn't be okay with or that I wouldn't normally be okay with in the outside world. And then thirdly, all I was thinking, I'm like, I don't know if I could do it. And then I'm like, but I love playing Dungeons and Dragons growing yeah. up. Like I, I understood role play and I yeah. loved all those things. But is is there a certain amount of fear? Like is is there a certain amount of trepidation from people who aren't as extroverted as say Ms. Nida on my left here? Or? Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's a choose your own adventure, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. And I think so. And I think the thing is um, it's about opening up lots of levels, you know. Mm. So my my thought process is after we've designed everything is we we sit down and I go, Worst case scenario, a guest comes in and just sits down in a you know chair and doesn't move, right, in the square. Because we don't go into the, see the movie until the end, right? So you can't right. just sit in front of the movie. But, um, you know, you sit down in the middle of the square. Like we did um, we did Children of Men, you know that? Oh, I yeah. love yeah. that movie. I love that movie. Oh, I've done I that love before. that And he's so handsome as well. Oh, so good. so good. Oh, wait, so everyone in the whole lead up was everyone was in that movie? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's really That's, cool. I think you need to take – okay, so I think you need to explain a couple of the yeah, worlds so that went, you've I done. I went to really high concept, didn't I? <laughs> yes. Bring it – like come back to the the worlds that you've created. Like I went to – some of my favourites that I've been to. I mean anything from Children of Men was 
amazing. That would be incredible. Um, the like one time there was Life of Brian. They did a comedy <laughs> and everyone had to dress in togas. And you went there and it was like Roman times. And if you went to this VIP area, you could feed grapes to you got fed grapes. And then another area you went and you could do a stoning. So they had these fake rocks <laughs> and you could throw rocks and do a stoning. And then you got taken away with the Spanish Inquisition. And that was hilarious. Um, another one I love was Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was um, a beautiful sort of art house film. And it was based uh, kind of on post, uh, it was in New Orleans, yeah, right? And yeah. it was um, post the uh, like Katrina. 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 Yep. Mm. Did you tell me to watch that? Yeah, it's an amazing yeah. movie. Yes, I told Fred to watch it on a couple of episodes. Oh, ago. right, yeah. right, right. Um, and that was really cool. And it was down at the shipping yards and we all had to get on this boat. And, um, and then there was an Elysium world. Or, yeah, there's all these different things. So... You probably expanded a lot better than me. No, but. not at all. I love listening to <laughs> Oh, and another one was um, uh, Casablanca. Casablanca, <laughs> oh, yes. where um, they, actually in the Melbourne, they did it in an airport hangar and had an actual plane there. And really? everyone was dressed in this beautiful oh, yeah. sort of vintage attire. Mm. And you were in an airport hangar. And in Sydney, where there was... Um, and I've also been at places where there's snakes and camels and llamas. Yeah. And so it's just... It's uh, you've created a lot of different worlds that mm. people can go into. And coming back to your point, I think from uh, the audience's perspective, you can get as involved as much or as little as you like. That's yeah. cool. So I've been to somewhere I've been a little bit tired and I haven't been as engaged and I've sort of just wandered around and looked at and I've been in the sidelines watching things yeah. and then there's others where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do these missions and I have to go and collect things and get really involved. So I think it's... That's really cool. Yeah. I think that, you know, and as you're saying like, as people feel engaged and feel integrated into it and make their own decisions, I think that level of decision-making is really important. So important. And I think that suddenly you know, changes the whole thing. That and also in my head, and I know this sounds bad, but I think if someone just pitched it at me and I didn't know Children of Men was an option, I'd be yeah. like, I'm like, am I going to have to pretend I'm in a romantic comedy? No. And I love Children of Men. So, oh, no. And then all those movies just described, I'm like, oh, I fully get that. What was the one with the zombies chasing? I was shit scared. <laughs> what was that film? 28 Days Later. Oh, 28 Days Later. <laughs> I would do this. Has to be the film that you show. There were actual zombies. <laughs> okay, they, so there was they, actual zombies. Actual zombies. <laughs> like I was scared. At one point, we were, they were like, "Run! The zombies are coming!" And we were running, and there was a guy next to me who dropped his um, iPhone, and he didn't stop. Like he looked and he kept running. He was so scared. I'm like, "Dude, you dropped your phone!" He I just, don't care. There's no time. <laughs> he didn't care. He just kept running. And so he dropped it. And kept <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so scary. Oh, dear. Oh, so anyway, I can't remember what I asked, no, but no, no, it sounds no, fun. Sounds no, fun. No, no, no. Coming back to your question, I think also if you just sit down and you did nothing and you were sitting in the middle of like Children of Men is a perfect example because yeah. you know it, right? And anyone listening who doesn't know that movie, you must now stop, watch the movie and come back to the podcast. <laughs> um, so Children of Men, if you know, I'll, I'll explain the experience a little bit, but um, in essence, if you just sat down in the middle of the refugee camp, which we created, and did nothing, like I think you just got a drink and sat down and did nothing, there was a smorgasbord for the eyes. You know what I mean? Like there's these things happening around you and everything is meticulously designed and so forth that you will see action. You know, so even if you don't want to talk to a human at all, mm. you can actually visually be feasted. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you'll see a fight break out, you know, which seems simultaneous, and then you'll see a rally start, and then you'll see, you know, shifty business and theft happening, even if you just sat in the same spot. And we kind of design our spaces so that if someone goes stationary, how does that space look like? Yeah, how does you know? that change? I'll come closer. 
That's right. No, I was pointing it down. Just get um, so, yeah. Anyhow, but look, Children of Men. Shall I tell you what happened for Children yes, of Men? Yes, please. Right, and there's a bar as well. Like, oh, yeah. oh, so, so, I, so you can so drink drinking, and yeah. you can eat food. That's stuff. actually really So important. Jai Smith yeah. is fine. Yeah, Jai, Jai fine. Smith is fine. <laughs> Crack all <laughs> the tinnies you want. <laughs> Oh my god, so good! And the bartenders and children of men got really into I it. I thought you were going to say the bartenders were children, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> no, they started throwing things. They had characters. Act, character, actor, actors would come into the bar, and then the bartenders would throw things at them. It was hysterical. <laughs> so funny. Um, so, children of men. Um, so it's post-apocalyptic world, um, or in the way that it's set in England, um, and uh, humankind cannot have babies anymore. We've lost fertility. This is the premise of the storyline um, in a nutshell. Uh, we are focused in England, in London, um, which has gone under martial law um, because uh, civilization is breaking down as we know it um, around the world. You get this sort of sense you don't get details um, because there's no hope left uh, for um, for society, for humans. And the, we, we start the movie with the, the youngest person on earth has died. Um, and so, you know, there, there's no reason to live and then anarchy has broken free. So we, we explore, that's what the movie explores. Um, and there's this massive, you know, refugee crisis because mm. England is still holding sort of some semblance of order. Um, and there, and so it really explores that sort of thing of refugees and, 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 and all that sort of jazz. Um, so we, obviously no one knows the movie's Children of Men. We know that. So what we oh. call it is a code name and the code name is Hope. Right, so we're like everyone, you know, underground cinema presents hope, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's a nice title," and um, but we, you know, we 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 give them themes and ideas, and 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 on a social media thing, on digitally, we sort of take them through it before they come through the door, and um, but we tell people to dress as, and it was really contentious with this one, foreigners, mm. and people wow. were like, "How dare you say this?" Wow. And we're like, "Wait a minute, you know," and so people came dressed in foreigners, and some people. You know, we're dressed like French people with baguettes. It was really cute. <laughs> and other people... <laughs> other people came as aliens. <laughs> other people came as aliens, which is, you know, a thing. Anyhow, so everyone comes dressed as foreigners and they're all like, you know, smiling happy and they come to this warehouse in Merrickville. And um, the first thing that happens is uh, they meet all kind of army soldiers and so forth and then uh. they get taken through um, this grid-like, which was, again, replicated from the movie, and we literally dump them in the the uh this into the big scene of the movie and in this movie scene the woman's on the um they're on a bus i don't know if you remember and she gets dragged off a bus and we see she goes into what looks like a guantanamo bay detention center where you know there's a guy in a cage and you know there's dogs barking and soldiers looking like they're doing executions you know nice stuff right and then the bus keeps on going we never explore it further well we decided to start our world in that yeah and what would that be like if you walked into that so the first thing we did was separate men and women we put men on one side of the room women on the other there were three cages in the middle of the room full of actors and so forth there was real our soldiers were dressed absolutely perfectly SAS really um, we had real live attack dogs there barking really yeah, yeah, everything. It's, it's film quality it's a film set wow. you know it's real and so then we literally treat the guests like detainees you know I got a bag put over my head <laughs> she had a bag put over her head Scary. And then she got kidnapped. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, she got kidnapped. Glad we got her back one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so anyhow, that was the first experience. Can you imagine that? And you're just like, what What the hell? Can I swear? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Which is, I think, what we go for all the time. And then, you know, you go over that experience of intensity when you're in mm. it, and then you get, um, you know, they get slipped notes by the other refugees in the cages. And in those notes is the beginning of a journey, if you wish to take it. And then they get released into the refugee camp, which we've created a full shanty cut town. 
with wow. like yeah. you know 40 different t- tents selling yeah. different things different stuff and then you see characters that you saw you will see in the movie who are extras who walk around behind you meet them like we flesh those characters out and you might have to deal with them mm. so when you watch the movie you're like, oh, shit, I was just dealing with Crutch's guy. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I, so I didn't think come that. come to you yeah. through the movie. It really does play with that whole idea. Is it Tom Stoppard who wrote um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? And it takes small characters out of the whole play and then it's like, well, what would they be doing if they weren't, when they're not in the play? Yeah, from like their <laughs> point of view and their world. On, yeah. yeah, that's So you'll cool. never see... Uh, the lead character of the movie acting. Sometimes acting. very rarely. Yeah. Very, very, very rarely. rarely. Right? Because if you don't nail it, like, it's, a awk- it, yeah. it's awkward. Because then you get you come know? back to that judgment and comparison. Exactly, piece. afterwards. And sometimes they're not actually the most interesting thing to put in there. Yeah. And sometimes they are, but they're mm. not always. Yeah. Your brain works in a different way, <laughs> I think. It's- She's saying you're broken and you <laughs> need some fixing and sort it out. Uh, send help. Yeah, what's your creative process? Because I know you're a big film buff and you love watching movies. Mm. And when you're uh, selecting a film, you know, there's been days where I'm like, hey, Tom, what are you doing? I'm just up to my sixth movie today. I haven't (laughs) left the house. (laughs) What is that creative process like? Um, when choosing a film, uh, or, yeah, it's multiple. I kind of think of it as a triangle. So I look at it, one point of the triangle is programming. So looking at what have we programmed in the past, you know, like where have we been? What has been the journey of my members? Mm-hmm. So the idea is if you came to every single event that we did, it would be interesting. You know what I mean? You won't see in the same sort of film. Um, so there's that sort of thing. So that kind of influences me in what kind of style or genre I should be looking at. Uh, so there's that one point of the triangle. The other point of the triangle is the film itself. So what is the best example of those genres? And not only that, what is the best examples of those genres uh, that um, have a real sense of world, you know? Because mm. there's some amazing films out there that are set in an apartment. Yeah. And I can't do anything with that really. I mean, maybe I could. But, you know, that's not – I need more scope to the world and more depth and, I, and stuff. So then – so when I'm programming the particular film, I'm looking for that sense of world. Um, and also sometimes leading people to see a genre or a ex- film that they mightn't have chosen mm-hmm. that will delight them and surprise them because they're trusting you again to make a choice for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not there to try and make you sit awkwardly through an outhouse, scratchy, weird film where someone just barks like a dog. I mean, what's that about? That's film studies, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, For a big Saturday night out. Yeah, big Saturday night out. But so that's also that trust. So it's like, you know, we did anime once. And of course, if you do oh, anime, cool. you know, I believe you need to do Spirited Away. Oh, amazing. Because it is the king for me of anime films. It's just so accessible. And anyone who hasn't seen anime, that's their gateway drug for and, sure. And yeah, it's like a it's a it's a it's a world of magic that is still contained. Yes. Like if you yeah, if you went and trying to do something in a bigger world, like it would just yeah. be awkward. Or something that didn't have boundaries, like if you looked at my neighbor Totoro, it would just feel like standing in a grass forest for the most of it. There you go. Right. So you need that. That texture right yeah. so then finally it's the location 
The worst thing that can happen to me is I find the location first. It's <laughs> and the you wanna... worst thing. Right. <laughs> you find a location that you adore and then your brain just goes into this white noise of panic <sighs> because you're like, I need to use this location, but what movie is it and what genre is it? And then my, you know, so really my triangle in a perfect world works in the order I sort of said it. But you find a location fits it. Most likely, more than often than not, I get the first two points and then I spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to get that location, you know. Mm. Um, and, and because... Because we're doing, you know, shows in spaces that don't have shows in them. Yeah. Um, you know, that's Is that your biggest challenge? It's my biggest challenge. I say the word challenge now because I like to overcome it. Okay. That's my new manifestation. Of no, I believe in that. Every time so there's an opportunity, I'm like, no, give me the challenge. Yeah, yeah. We rock that now. So, you know, and... And it's good. It's good because uh, because people then also that's also part of the excitement, right? People are like, oh my god, I've never been here, yeah. or I didn't even know this was here, or you know. And that's sort of that's beautiful when you can do that for a venue as well, you know. Or but I know that that's really hard with me with Secret Foodies because we only ever do this one venue once. We only yes. get one shot at it, yeah. And so it's really hard. Like you have your yeah. expectations, yeah. but then you have to put your trust in. Well, for me, it's the sh- trust that the chefs and the venue and everything's going to deliver upon my expectations. If we were going to do it the second time around, we'd nail it, but we only get one shot. So yeah. it's the hardest thing. Yeah. Without doubt. I know that you would have similar Oh, my God, yes. challenges. So is this your day job? Yeah. Had, well, kind had, of like, yeah, Secret Squirrel Producers Underground. Right. Uh, so that's our flagship biggest thing, you know, and best example of immersive that we do. Yep. Um, it's our living and breathing portfolio, so to speak. Yep. And that's what nearly, you know, we have a massive team working on it. We have a team in Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, how many people? Uh, we have, look, we have th- about 30 actors. We have a troupe, so we have 30 actors in Melbourne, 30 actors in Sydney currently on board, uh, so 60, but we've got probably wow. 200 on the books. Yep. Um, we have set team, costume team. Um, yeah, we got all. We've, it's just it's a big little team, you know, a big little team. It's a big team, really, <laughs> to do what we do, and then we do that twice a year, and then Secret Squirrel has, you know, we do we produce other things, um, smaller boutique things, which has a smaller team that work on it, and then we, we get clients that walk mm-hmm. through the door. Like the call, you guys did produce the Call of Duty yeah. launch like a year or so ago. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you would have loved. Oh, I yeah. get on these these lists now. <laughs> yeah, which tell tell us about that time. That was cool. Yeah, we did a escape room. Uh, in a 40-foot um, shipping container. Really? Yeah, zombie escape room. <laughs> and it had never been done before, ever, in the world. So we just, you know, studied and learned and, um, and you know, designed it. And uh, we designed with a film set. Uh, we had a set builder who was from film set. He's amazing. And um, and uh, we, we dedicated, like, six months of our lives designing this insane escape room. Yeah. Um, and then you put it in the middle of Federation Square. Yeah, Federation Square. Square, exactly. So we put it in Federation Square and we made it interactive as well. So you got locked into a shipping container. You had to, you know, solve, like, seven or eight puzzles to get out. And they're all different psychological puzzles. So By yourself or with a partner? No, you went with a group little group and um, so you had to work as a group to do it um, and then at the same time we had cameras in there so we could have eyes on everybody uh, we had actors yep. who were playing this shadow man you know character from from the game yep. and uh, the shadow game uh, the shadow master would 
tease them, control them and talk to them in real time. And they were like, oh, my God, how are these people seeing us? Um, so it was interactive. And at the same time, we had live zombies, real like real zombies, <laughs> real zombies again. again. Um, it's amazing. I'm the only one who seems to have real zombies. Yeah. Uh, we had those trying to break in and they were out the front and uh, things. So, so, yeah, and then you, you went through the thing and you hopefully escaped with your life. Amazing. But, again, it's about putting the stakes high so it felt really, really real. Yeah. And it didn't feel like some playground sort of try hard thing it was like we commit you know i think that's what we do we fully commit to whatever world we do yeah so that's sort of the agency stuff we do okay awesome yeah. and, and how long did it you know what, what did it take for you kind of personally to to be able to get there and, and kind of when did you know that oh i could do this full time and this is my fucking agency and oh, i went i went full time from I, I I just I put it all in i put all in from yep. the beginning you know and i was really realistic about what that meant and i think have we talked about this maybe before um I think maybe I've said it to Alex, but, you know, I didn't have any illusions of grandeur, you know. I didn't start an agency or this to be selling a yacht, you know, and being super, <laughs> like, princess. You know, I wasn't, like, means to an end. It was like I was really realistic about the sacrifices it would take to have any level of success. And that meant, like, living in the back room of my mum's place for two years, eating soup, you know, seriously. eating soup, my biggest sacrifice. Yeah, sacrifice. <laughs> I did not get thin on soup, yeah. uh, at all, which is a weird thing, right? I thought I'd be really thin. Um, just you eat all the bread you can when you can. No, I was just super ridiculously, outrageously poor for a few years, but like never give up. Like took away the safety net um, and go for it. You know, go for it for gold. So we started the agency in reverse. So we actually started underground. Yep before we really started pushing the agency because, you know, nine, ten years ago, nobody was using the word immersive. Yeah. Now that's hard to believe because everybody used that word, yeah. right? And everyone's saying that. And a lot of people say it and it's not really. Yeah. Like it's just a themed party, right? Um, so we were studying ahead of our time and we knew that. And, and I kind of knew that five years ago, you know, that it would be five years for people to catch up. So it was about – you know, being at the forefront of the industry. Yep. And then the thing was, you know, going out there and just effectively delivering every single time something of, you know, the same quality yep. every single time, just batting it. You know, you had to be bet on. You know, you had to be something you could bet on and just consistently going out there. And also taking hits in the way that, you know, I remember that, you know, we were only doing one nights or two nights. Now, we could have done three nights, but we wanted to train our audience's um, buying mentality to selling out. So, you know, there was strategy behind that yeah. too. So we would have made more money if we could have done that third night and probably sold it out, but we would have sat on kind of empty tickets for a while yep. and been I don't want to go into that theatre realm of buy my ticket, please come to my show. So what we did was we'd do less shows than we had capacity for. We'd sell out really quickly. We started to, that trend started happening until people started learning, shit, underground's on sale tomorrow. We need to buy tickets within the first hour if we want to go. Yeah. I've never seen tickets move so fast. Really? Events sell out. But can you take us back even further than that? Because what I've, I've always found your story really inspiring because you came back from, you'd been travelling around um, the world and then you came back to Melbourne where you're originally from and then even like getting a, you got a grant or like you kind of, this whole process of how you were going to even 
your business plan and you know oh, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Can you we share that with us? <laughs> yeah, I that's think, probably good, right? I feel like that's really interesting because a lot of people listening would think, "Wow, that's amazing! You're so successful." No. But behind, you are really yeah. successful. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I made all this up. <laughs> this, this, this is a lie. <laughs> yeah, you, it's hard to think. Oh, I, how could I ever do that? Whereas yeah. if you take it back to how you started, from little things, big things grow. So yeah. That's one of the your catchphrases. Yes, I love that. I love that. And too. I think that applies to you. So shut up, Jai. And Tam, <laughs> tell us your story. <laughs> so the simplicity. Um, so I came back uh, from overseas and my dad was sick. So um, he, he wasn't well and um, I knew that and I, that's why I got on a plane home. And... Uh, I and I spent the last six weeks with dad before he passed away. So this is really the story, right? Um, and I think it's important to sort of say this story, I think, if I'm going to say it, mm. because I think it's important um, and I'm only getting good at telling it now, really. So, I, you know, I lost dad. He's my most favourite person in the world, you know, you know, real daddy girl, love of my life, and I miss him every single day. And when he when he passed away, when he, when he died, um, the world just stopped for me. And the air just sucked out of the room and there was nothing, right? There was nothing. Um, I was meant to get on a plane back to England to actually go and work on a TV series in, in Scotland. This was a really huge thing. I'd kind of just come to my meaning of wanting to do producing and stuff. I was, and I never hadn't done it. It was the beginning of what was possibly yeah. a, an amazing career. And I was at home in Australia. Dad's just passed and, was, you know, they, I've got no money in the bank, not a single cent because I've just been – sitting with him, you know, and he passes and I'm, I've got a return ticket and I don't get on the plane because uh, everything just shifts, right? And I just felt like I needed to be here. I don't know what, but I felt like I was deep mourning, you know, deep, deep sadness. And uh, so this is actually the beginning really because um, I had nothing and it was the GFC, Global Financial GFC, yeah. right? Yeah, 2009. Does that sound right? 2009. Yep. Well, I don't know. And so I, I can barely get off. The, I can't do anything. I remember going and have no money at all, not a single cent left. I had to sign up for the dole for the first time in my life and I was distraught beyond mm. words. And I remember, like, you know, lining up in Centrelink just bawling, bawling my eyes out. Like, yeah. like but uncontrolled, like didn't even want to cry. Like, I couldn't go to public. I was just – it was horrible. Yeah. And I had nothing. And Dad had always said to me, you know, work is the best solace. Um Anyhow, I, I remember trying to go meet, you know, producers and stuff to get a job and stuff. And I didn't really have a resume in Australia at the time, I, you know. And um, and I'm like, I'm, I remember spending my last five dollars on a coffee, taking a producer out for coffee, right? And he says to me, um, "Do you have any ideas? You know, anything you want to get off the ground or anything?" And I'm sitting in there in this laneway in Melbourne, into Grave Street, with the last five dollar coffee, right? So he could get two coffees for five dollars. Yeah. That's <laughs> And I remember in the most clunky possible way pitching underground, oh. effectively, yeah. And it was the worst bloody pitch you've ever heard. It was all goddamn over the shop, you know. I didn't really, you know, have a through line. I went in circles. He calmly listened kindly and generously listened to me. And at the end he goes, oh, my God, that's fucking huge, right? You know that's huge. He goes, that's way too big for me, but you're going to do it, right? <laughs> and I just remember going, yes. <laughs> And walking away from that meeting in a sort of 
days and then calling my best friends and going, I want to pitch an idea to you. Tell me what you think. So I called three friends and, you know, pitched it to them. And then the next thing I knew I was in, you know, Centrelink line crying again the next day probably, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm standing in line and I grab a pamphlet to sort of hide my face crying mainly. Honestly, that's the truth. Like I just was embarrassed. And the pamphlet was for the NICE program, which is the New Enterprise Incentive Scheme. And that is if you have an idea and yep. you want to pitch it, you know, in, in a nutshell at the time, I don't know what it is now, you can pitch it to us. If we accept you, you go to small business school, management school for three months or so, full time. And if you get through that, you get a business plan at the end. If we approve that, you go into mentorship for a year. And effectively, you get the doll, equivalent of the doll for a year, which is not a lot, as everybody knows. Mm. And I remember going, holy shit, this is amazing. Like, what country do I live in? Mm. You know, I'd been away for 10 years and I came from this place of, wow, my government's willing. Like, I know this is all very euphoric and no, stuff. I think it's good. But, like, you know, they're, they're willing to support my idea, like, pay me to do what I want to do. And, you know, no, you know, I went in and then, of course, the woman said, there's only one place or you've got the last place. You know, all this serendipitous angel on my shoulder sort of thing mm -hmm. happened. Next thing I know is I'm going to business school. And I knew that was important because I needed – for grieving, I needed to get out of bed every day. Yeah. You know, I needed to do something. I needed purpose. Yeah. Actually, that is the number one thing I always had needed, you know. And with everything I had, I, I threw it into this. So every day I went to school, I was like at the front of the class, <laughs> you know, mm. and I was like writing all the notes and I just put everything I had in it. And I was such a goody two-shoes because I came from a really humble position of knowing nothing, yeah. you know. And I'd done a uni degree. And I'll tell you what, a uni degree does not give you practical sense with business. <laughs> By any goddamn it's means. I can define postmodernism, but I have no idea <laughs> how to fucking how run to a do business. A PL, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how to run my cash flow. Yeah. No idea how to even, you know, do any of the tools that you need. Yeah. Here was this TAFE course whereby they stepped you through everything all in relation to your business. That's you weren't cool. doing Jack and Jill started a farm, mm. which has nothing to – I don't give a shit about Jack and Jill. <laughs> but it was like underground cinema needs – you know, everything was about my business, you know. And everyone in that room – the niece course who came in at, with it with the attitude of like I'm just doing this to make money to get the money like I know everything I fucking hate being here <laughs> like everyone who came from that attitude failed yeah yeah within months right and the only ones of us who like open-eyed humbly went in even into classes we thought we knew the stuff and still were willing to listen and learn and just like just sacrifice all for it yeah so I guess that's my genesis. My point was that's how I did it. And when I said before, like, so for two years, like, I lived in my mum's back room. I, you know, did. I ate soup. I had no life. But I was really aware of that sacrifice. So actually when we started doing well a year and a bit in, I was like, wow, this is great. Yeah. And every time we've done well, it's like, wow, this is fucking great. So I'm never sort of dissatisfied because I'm not coming from this place of Ike's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I knew nothing. Like I knew fucking nothing about the most simple things. I didn't understand when I bought an Apple computer that I needed to load Windows onto it. Like, that's okay. That's, I don't think a lot yeah. of people know that. Yeah, but yeah like yeah. they have that, pages that, and stuff. I'll, now, I'll give you up. <laughs> but I mean, some really, really fundamental things. Yeah. I had no idea. So my learning curve was like that. But the thing was, I was always learning. You know yeah. what I mean? And then just keep going because that's it. 
And then your overheads, I mean, it was sort of like you would put an event on sale so you'd get ticket revenue so mm-hmm. then you could use that to fund the show and then it just sort of went from there and there, right? Yeah. And built and built and built. And then how many people came to your first ever show? 145. Okay, Fuck. and now, no, but now you get like We only hundreds. did one show, right? But we could have done twice that because of the idea was strong enough even at the beginning so we could have yeah. done 300 but we chose to do one show for 145 and sell it out. Yeah. How many people come now? Oh, like Across five, Sydney, Melbourne, oh, you'll thousands. get like a thousand. Yeah, yeah. we'll do about 3,000. Really? Yeah. yeah. Fuck me. 3,000 across both yeah. cities. That's fucking amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. That's, you know, pretty incredible and more than pretty incredible. That's in- outstanding. And I think thank you so much for sharing kind of that personal side of it as well. I think that's that kind of colours everything else. And, you know, it sounds like to me that you've still got that same attitude of always learning and kind of being grateful and not taking things for granted. No, thank you so much for that. Uh, And thank you for sharing, again, like so much of your personal story. That's really, really inspiring. That's amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tam. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, perhaps you are a creative yourself or you know someone that we definitely should be interviewing, drop us a line. Um, Jai, he's over at Jai Smith or Double Star Co. And you can hit me up on social media. I'm Ms. Darlinghurst. We are on iTunes and we're on Spotify now. Spotify. So, yeah, you can look us up on Spotify, Maker and Creator. And, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week with another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Nice. Thank you. Bye. Bye.